Hey guys, this is Mike with 80 Page Giants. Just getting to you a little late with an interview I had from the floor of C2E2. I got to talk to a couple of good guys from Double Take Comics. While on the floor of C2E2, I got to talk to Gabe Yoakum and Matt Sumo about their George Romero world of comics and Double Take Comics in general. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I'm sorry for it coming almost two weeks after C2E2. Alright guys, well I'm on the floor of C2E2 here for 80 Page Giants. Um, this year's uh, convention I'm going to be focusing mostly on indie publishers and today I have with me uh, two gentlemen from Double Take Publishing. Want to introduce yourselves? Sure, I'm Gabe Yoakum. I'm a sales and marketing coordinator for the company and I write remote. I'm Matsuo. I am the writer for a dedication. Fantastic guys. Now Indie publishing is a tough, tough place to be right now. How is it that uh, you guys have gotten to three issues on ten different books? Uh, by the skin of our teeth, um, <laughs> if I'm being honest. It's, uh, it, from a sales and marketing perspective, uh, the, you really have to take a look at the industry and see that the, the standard in the industry for indie publishing, unfortunately, is failure. Um, you know, you have any number of new publishers putting out maybe two books a month or three books a month, and they're squirting them out there. And at that number, maybe they're printing 5,000 books. Uh, and at that number, they're probably paying at least a dollar a book to print them. Um, and then, you know, they're putting a $5 pricing on them because that's the only way they can make money as an indie publisher. Um, we are lucky enough, while we are an indie publisher, to have a large corporate parent that understands that it's important to come to market strong. And the, you know, if the industry standard is failure, then do what the rest of the industry isn't doing. So we said, great, we're going to put 10 books out there at one time. We're going to see what happens. We're going to package them together um, because it's a shared universe and there's crossover. And, you know, you get a, a, a more fun experience as a reader if you get to binge read the entire universe at one time. So it's just a bunch of new things we tried at one time, threw it out there. It's been successful to a degree that uh, none of us really expected it to be um, because we know the landscape. We researched it enough to know that, you know, five out of six pub indie publishers fail because it's it's just a tough place to be out there. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. We know how lucky we are to have this corporate parent, and that's part of the reason we've been successful. I mean, we, we came into the market as a low-cost leader, uh, $2.50 price point on the, on the books, um, you know, and really high quality in terms of the construction and the materials as well. Uh, so uh, we have advantages, but the, the landscape is still, I mean, we're six months old. Uh, we're in about 450 comic book shops across the country. There's 1,600. So we're still, we're still working. Now, you guys say you have a shared universe. Um, that shared universe, it, did you have to pay licensing on that, or did you come, it came with the company? How did you get, uh, well, explain your shared universe as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, all ten of our titles take place in the universe that was established by uh, the incredible genius George A. Romero uh, in his 1968 cult classic, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, very famously, uh, that film fell into the public domain almost immediately because of a copyright error. As a result, uh, you know, derivative works are allowed uh, in terms of taking uh, the creative from the film and expanding upon it or doing things with it. Um, so as a result, licensing fees weren't an issue. What we found uh, in starting our company 
is that the most important thing for us to do is make sure that we create a universe that fans can buy into. So we tried a ton of creative. We were founded in 2013 and tried different creative for over a year until they landed on this. Uh, we would send out prompts to creators, writers, artists, and we would get things back that were uninspired and, if I'm being totally honest, just bad. Um, because, you know, there's a, uh, while there's a ton of talent in, uh, out there, there's also uh, uh, a ton of the other thing. Um, so uh, what we found was that when we figured out, uh, when we found that, uh, that the film was in the public domain, we thought, well, let's try this. We sent out the prompts, and everything came back so much more tight, so much more together, because people know the film, and they love the film, and it inspires people. So it, it, it came back so much pulled together, it was like, we would be nuts not to do this. Um, so the, the universe, uh, there are ten titles. Three of the books actually follow characters from the film uh, that you know and love. Uh, the rest of the titles uh, all take place within the fictional Evans County, Pennsylvania, um, telling new stories with new characters from new perspectives at the same time the film was taking place. Nice. Now, you said that you went and you uh, shopped out work to a bunch of different uh, writers and stuff. As a writer, how did the process go for you? Um, I've been with <clears throat> Double Take since the beginning, since um, 2013. Uh, and I was one of those people, you know, we were throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick, and um, nothing did until this came about. Uh, so it was a little bit challenging because, again, like Gabe had said, you know, we tried different things and none of it worked, but this really, we really took to this. And, and to be honest, like, I found that my strongest writing was in this universe. So would you say that you're... Did you have a love for the universe ahead of time? Did that help, like, lead into it? Is it easier to go with something you know or appreciate than it is to come up with a new universe on your own? It's that, and then it's also... Because my book um, called Dedication takes place in a supermarket, and I have a background in retail, specifically a supermarket, I brought a lot of that experience to the book. So that was a lot of fun for me to create characters based on basically my life. All right, fantastic. Now, you guys said it's it's difficult to break even in this, and you're, you've been lucky. Have you approached sales models differently with uh, with marketing your book? It's interesting, um, and it's not a question I'm asked very often. Um, so I get to nerd out about sales stuff. That's fun. Um, yes. Um, at the end of the day, what what this is going to come down to, whether we succeed or fail, is going to be uh, how much work we're able to put into it. Um, we are a small shop, 14 of us in the office, um, and that's an editorial and business together. So we're, and we're doing 10 books a month. Um, so I am the salesperson for the company. Um, I split marketing duties with our business manager who does all of the day-to-day -day operations. So in terms of you know, sales uh, forecasting and stuff like that, the crazy thing about the comics industry that, that a lot of people don't realize is that there is one distributor in all of comics. They're called Diamond. And uh, everybody knows the Diamond Previews catalog, but that is the only way that comic shops can get comics, uh, unless they buy direct. And with 1,600 stores in the United States, it's an uh, arduous process for a publisher to be able to sell direct. Um, so 
sales models are very difficult to really put together in the first fiscal year of a company. So really what you do is you put your product out there, you solicit it as best you can, and you pray for the best. Um, up until you get those numbers back after a year, and then you really start doing that stuff. And that's what we're in the process of doing now. Now, I talked to you earlier, and you mentioned that you've also focused uh, not just on comic book shops, but as well as uh, traditional brick-and-mortar retail. What kind of approach, how did you approach a retail shop and say, listen, uh, you know, let's get past the spinner racks and move on to being legitimate comics and publishing there? It's interesting. Um, we had uh, a little bit of success with Barnes & Noble um, in that uh, we were able to, because of the packaging of our books, um, where it's 10 what what people in the industry called floppies, uh, floppy comics, uh, wrapped together with a spine and shrink wrap. Um, it's it's very what we were told, quote unquote, giftable, uh, right? So around the holidays, we were able to sell it at Barnes and Noble uh, at, at pretty high numbers. Um, really, what it comes down to again is doing things differently than other publishers are doing, and and. You know, one of Bill, Bill Jemis, uh, who ran Marvel from 99 to 2004, is our GM. Um, and one of Bill's big things that he likes to repeat over and over is, you know, uh, ironically, if you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result, that's, that's insane. That's nuts, right? So why would we do things the same as other independent publishers? Um, so th that's where the Super PAC was born. Um, and as a result, I mean, it's been very mass market friendly in terms of it's a very small, it's a cheap ring, it's 10 bucks or 20 bucks, but we've also had success with it at some of the, the comic-centric shops that I wouldn't classify as your standard comic book retail, places like Midtown Comics, places like um, even Hastings in the South, um, that, uh, you know, it's a bookstore, but they have a really large comic footprint, um, and uh, this sort of packaging has really resonated in those places. Now, being an indie publisher, um, do you guys get any sort of boost whenever one of the big two does like a um, like an event where people just drop off because they're like, you know what, I'm not paying attention because this isn't real? You know, uh, my personal opinions aside, as a comic book fan, which you know, you know, falling into this sort of job as a comic book fan is about the greatest thing that could ever happen because um, uh, I get to come to places like this uh, on the company's time, but. It's like when when these events happen, and and you you, I talk to comic book shops every day. It's part of my job, so I talk to them on the phone. And what I hear from them over and over and over again is, nowadays these shops have to focus on indie books in how they're selling to their customers because their customers are going to come in and they're going to buy their Batman, and they're going to buy their Superman, and they're going to buy their Spider Man that's going to happen no matter what. And when I talk about that, I'm talking DC and Marvel. People are going to be fans of those things. Are they turned off by, by these big events? Absolutely they are. And they're dropping in, in huge numbers. So these shops have to put in the extra work to say, oh, so you liked, um, you know, uh, just as an example, uh, it's not even my company, but oh, you liked um, uh, Batman, you know, you're dropping it now that Snyder's going off the book or something, right? And, well, you might want to try Ninjak for Valiant, right? Or something like that. And I put us in the same boat because it's like, all of us indies, we're all fighting over the same 9% of the market. 
You know what I mean? There's a hundred of us, and we're fighting over nine percent of that market. So we're in this thing together to a large degree. Um, so it's it's that it's talking to these shops and and hearing from them over and over. Just like you said, people are getting disenfranchised at a five dollar book or a six dollar book in the case of DK3 that is made out of crabby material and it's and then they just keep coming up with more and more excuses to raise price um and we are firm staunch hardcore believers that comics should be cheap uh piggy bank i'm not sure that i answered your question that's all right but but i talked a lot so that counts for something (laughs) that does (laughs) piggybacking off of that uh indie comics is at nine percent of the market right now do you and there's a lot of publishers. Is there room for indie to grow, or is the are the amount of publishers and books going into the market going to stifle it uh, without making it grow? Because you don't get long runs of books that get people engaged. Like Savage Dragon, for example, is a long run, fairly indie book, but there's not many other things that really qualify as being that high of an issue count. Beyond, generally speaking, issue nine is where most people see a book die. Yeah, you know, in terms of the issue run thing. I, I, I have a bit of a different philosophy on that in that I think you create readership by uh, by focusing on story arcs that people will enjoy. No matter how long those uh, those numbers last, uh, there's always the gimmick of renumbering and, and starting over and doing that stuff. But at the end of the day, if people are engaged in a story arc, I don't, I don't, I don't really get too tied up with... with how long the you know the issue numbers are some people want to restart and do new number ones because of the collectability issue i think that might even be dying in the industry the collectability but regardless i i feel like the the industry can grow and will grow so long as companies continue to focus on creating content that can be converted into other media and I think that's something that we've done really strong and, and focused on, as a matter of fact. Um, one of our books was optioned by Lionsgate back in October uh, for a major motion picture that's Z-Men. Um, and a lot of our other titles were created with the direct intent of moving into a small-budget film or even television show. Uh, if you're not doing that, if you're not, you have to go where the fans are. So at the end of the day, whether you go from TV show to comic or comic to TV show, that's where the industry is. That's where it's going to be for the foreseeable future, especially with all the new media outlets that we have. Netflix, Hulu, you know, even network television is getting more into comics than they've ever, ever been in the history of television. Um, So what it comes down to is creating content that can be applicable in other media. Awesome. So both of you guys are creators. Now, here's a personal question. What was it like the first time you saw one of your books on the shelf? Um, amazing. I mean, as a, I, I've been a comic fan since I could read, and it was so cool to like walk into my local comic book store and see my book amongst Marvel, amongst DC, amongst all these great publishers with my name on it. Like that's, it, it was the most amazing feeling. And then holding something that. I had a hand in creating it, it's it's I hate to liken it to like childbirth but it's kind of like that like you created it and you're holding it in your hands and it's real you know it, it was amazing I can't it cannot be described amazing uh, I, I can't echo Matt's sentiments more I um I got goosebumps when you asked the question as a matter of fact um I was a Claremont kid um 
X-Men were my jam, yo. Uh, Beast was my guy. Like, and I, I read comics from the time I was five years old until I was 12, and then around 94, 95, comics really began to suck. And I went away. And then my best friend brought me uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man trade when I was 17. Ironically, I end up working for Bill Jemis. But, uh, and I've, I haven't left since. And uh, I, I worked in, in small town country radio in Indiana for about seven years. And uh, they knew that when I came on. This, this book happened to take place in a radio station already. And on issue two, they asked me, well, you know, what would someone say in this instance? And what would someone do in this instance at a radio station? And then with issue three, we had some issues with the writer. And they just asked me, do you want to write this book? And, well, yeah. Um, so I, I can only describe it like this. I, um, obviously, I'm a big fan of, of the stuff that Marvel was putting out at the turn of the century. On uh, February 24th, our third issue is launched, and it's the first book has my name on the title. It's remote number three. It's the, you know the first name on there. I walk into Midtown Comics in 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 Times Square, and anybody who's ever been there knows the new release wall is a city block long. And I took a picture of my book on the shelf because I just so happened to be on the shelf directly above Huck number two, I think. So, I'm on the same shelf. I'm sharing shelf space with Mark Millar, who may be the greatest comic writer of our generation. Uh, I believe so. I agree. Um, And and it's just, I I wept. Uh, And I I hate to say, but I did. And I'm starting to get a little teary-eyed now, because it's like, I, I am never going to be Mark Millar, but for that one day, if someone wanted to pick up Mark Millar, they couldn't help but see my name, too. It's it's magical. Fantastic. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? Um, I would love to direct people to our website. Um, uh, Bill Jemis is a huge uh, a proponent of sampling. Um, when we when he launched Ultimate Spider-Man at Marvel, he put out six million copies of that book for free in various outlets. Um, and nowadays, digital is the way to go. We have a very uh, unique digital format that is different than anything else that's out there. You can read all issue one and twos of all ten titles for free on our website, doubletakeuniverse.com, via mobile or desktop uh, or tablet, whatever you got. Uh, we're on Comixology as well, but uh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at doubletakenyc uh, and on, on Facebook at doubletakecomics. And, you know, that's the, the best place to find uh, anything you need from us. And, and you know, in closing, if you want to support indie comics, what you really need to do is go to your local comic shop and say, we want more indie comics. And say, they listen to you. Uh, comic shop owners rely on you to tell them what you want. And we rely on comic shop owners to carry our books to, to help us be more successful. And to your point, grow indie comics. Um, yeah, I just want to echo what Gabe said and definitely go to our site, doubletakeuniverse.com, to read the books, the number ones and twos for free. And then, uh, you know, if you like what you read, follow me on Twitter at, at Matt Mamigans. All right, well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that look at Double Take Comics. You can find them on Twitter at Double Take NYC. You can also find Gabe Yoakum on Twitter at Comicsmonger. And you can find Matt Sumo on Twitter at MattManBegins. I'm Mike Espinos for 80 Page Giants. You can find me on Twitter at GoReadSomething. And just to let you know, I apologize so much for the audio on the floor, but when you record on a con floor, things are happening, it gets loud, you never know what could happen. Look forward to hearing from you guys again, and I hope you've enjoyed this 80 Page Giants exclusive with Double Take Comics. You were listening to my interview with Matt Sumo and Gabe Yoakum. As always, have a good week.